you might have noticed um, that I'm preaching a little less at the moment, uh, which might be a joy to some of you. Um, <clears throat> oh, thanks, guys. Um, but we're trying to give space to others uh, to uh, develop and to grow in their ministry because we want to, you know, as we are, again, this morning, we're filling this space uh, and we're believing that God is going to increase what we're doing. And so we need to be preparing people because uh, we believe that we would like to plant the church uh, to take the gospel to other places. Um, and so we're, we're preparing that. But what's nice is that when I then come to speak on a Sunday, it's a great opportunity to speak into what the, I believe God is wanting to say to the church. Um, and so this morning, my heart and what I believe God has for us is really a message about the kind of church God wants to lead us into being, to lead us into greater measures of really kind of uh, who he wants us to be. And you may have noticed um, that we are becoming a, a bigger church. And you know, that's great, isn't it, when you become a bigger church? Uh, but what happens when you become a bigger church is you get more people. And people from different backgrounds people from different nationalities, people from different churches, they're the worst, um, <clears throat> with their different ideas. And, uh, <clears throat> and you know, we need to be careful that we don't become a club for people that like doing church the way we do. Because that's what so often church becomes, isn't it? It becomes a club for people that do church in that way. And I don't believe that's God's heart or vision for us as a church. We are to be a church that welcomes, truly welcomes, not just says, oh, hello, nice to meet you, you know, welcome to my church, but really says, do you know what? You might be different to me, but I want you to become my friend. I want to have dinner with you. I want you to invite you in my home. I want our kids to play together. Yeah, that is the kind of diverse church that I believe Jesus wants to create. But the problem with that is that the more diverse we become, the more difficult it can be for us that are Christians. Because the truth is, when you start hanging out with people that are different to you, they do things differently. And it can be really irritating. And you think to yourself, why on earth do they do that? And that's not what I like. That's not the way I like things being done. Any of us that have got married, right, <clears throat> have had to learn, right, that what your, fam your parents, the way, right, so this particularly happens. P Peter and, and Rebecca are getting married uh, this summer. Whee! Uh, <clears throat> sorry about that, Rebecca. Um, and Peter, this year, did his first Christmas not with the crosses, right? And I still remember my first Christmas, right, at my wife's family, right? I don't know if you remember that, right? They do it wrong, right? <laughs> they do it wrong, right? The way that, that my family does Christmas is the right way to do Christmas, right? I remember Mark saying that when he first went to Christmas with his family. So in our family, the way we do presents is you, you kind of divide them all up and each person takes their turn and it goes round and it takes ages, right? Okay? And it's great. In Alice's family, he said it was literally like a swarm of locusts hitting right, the presents and within literally under five minutes, it was done, right? And Mark was devastated. He was so upset, weren't you, Mark? <coughs> He still hasn't quite recovered. And yeah, the problem is, is that we love the idea, don't we, of diversity. We think, oh, we want a diverse church. Let's have all these nationalities in our church. But they mess the church up. 
because they bring all their new ideas in and it affects the way we do things and they come and they do church differently to us. But I believe God wants us to welcome that and encourage that because as we do that, I believe we will find more of Jesus. Amen? And so I want to talk us through, really, um, how the early church dealt with this problem of diversity because I don't know if you know much about the early church in Acts, but they were made up of Jews, right? Jews were people that believed that they were the chosen race that would save humanity. And they had all these laws that they had to follow. And then Jesus came along and said, well, yeah, a lot of that's true, but a lot of the laws that you thought were important are no longer important because my grace has covered it. But the church was also full of lots of Gentile believers, people that were Greeks and Romans that weren't Jews, that didn't have any of the Jewish backgrounds. They had their own gods and they had their own hang-ups and their own cultural bits and pieces. And so you've got this kind of melting pot of the church, which was incredibly diverse and really, really struggling with that whole idea. And, and I don't know if you know this, I'm sure you do, but the New Testament is written, lots of it, this sort of, certainly the second half of it, is written as letters to specific churches, to churches that would probably be a little bit like this one. Maybe they were bigger, maybe they were smaller, we don't know. Um, and Paul writes two letters, and I want to talk about two letters that he writes this morning. The first is to the Roman church, and the second is to the church in Corinth which was a Greek church. And he says in Romans chapter 15, verses 5 to 7, he says, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had. So that with one mind and one voice, we sang that this morning, didn't we? Be of one mind and one voice. You may glorify God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the difficult verse, if you want to look this one up. Romans chapter 15, verse 7, it says this, accept one another, accept one another, amen, until you have to do it, right? right. Then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. And in in the, the letter to Corinthians, he said that we should have equal concern for one another, right? So I want to explain a little bit about, is this working? Is this working? Click, 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 click. There we are. Right, so you had two churches. Not, I, I'm sorry. As I was trying to work this through my head, I thought I've got to try and put it into pictures because otherwise I don't understand it, let alone you guys, right? Okay. So you had the church in Corinth, right? Okay, that's a Greek church. And you had the church in Rome. Now, both these churches were having disputes. They were getting upset with each other. They were falling out. There was problems with diversity in these churches. And the first problem was the one in Corinth. And basically there was this big question. Can you eat food that has been offered to an idol before you eat it? So when you go to get your your ham or your big lump of beef or whatever it is, your chicken, if it's been offered to a Greek god first, then should you or should you not eat it? Now this caused a huge division, right? Big problem. And Paul is writing about this issue, okay? And if you were a Greek Christian, you said, no, 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 right? We've left our Greek worship, we've left our, the worship of Zeus and Dionysus and all that kind of stuff, and we don't want anything to do with it. And so if you, surely, all that stuff was terrible, all that stuff, we've come out of how bad that was. So we must make sure that we don't have anything to do with it, so we definitely, how can it be right to eat meat that's been offered to an idol? It must be terrible. 
But the Jewish Christians said, well, to be honest, your gods, they're nothing anyway. You know, they're fairy tales. You know, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't matter whether it's been offered to an idol because Jesus covers all of it and Jesus is more powerful than all of it. So it doesn't matter. And they got very, very upset about it. All right? And they, there was all these disputes. And so Paul has to write to them and say what the answer is, which I'll explain in a moment. Now, the Roman church had a, a similar problem. Uh, their question was, do we have to follow the Jewish food laws? Can I just say, why is it that churches fall out over food? Right? Okay. I'm happy with any food in this church except quiche. Right? <laughs> quiche should not and ever be allowed in the church. Right? Basically, what, what is quiche? Is it pizza? Right? Is it something else no one knows? Right? Okay. <clears throat> um, sorry. Sorry, if you bought quiche today, amen. I will celebrate, I will celebrate and I will eat it. All right, I'll eat it with you. Um, so, in the, in, in, their, uh, in the Roman church, it was the other way around, right? So the Roman Christians said, well, you know, we're not Jewish. We don't need to follow the Jewish laws. We're saved by grace. We believe that Jesus has died for us and that's all that matters. So we don't need to worry about following all the Jewish food laws. But the Jews were like, yeah, no, no, but we're still Jewish. Like, we still need to follow the laws. There's still value in following the Jewish laws. And so the Jewish Christians got really upset, okay? And, and you know, it, it caused a huge problem. Interesting, isn't it? You get these churches that are made up of different nationalities and different cultures, and there comes a problem. And so Paul talks in these, uh, these passages... Um, he talks about dividing the church between the weak and the strong. Okay? Between the weak and the strong. Now, the weak, right, were those who was, were the, Paul describes the weak as the Christians who were saying that eating certain foods was wrong or not eating certain foods was right. And they were weak. And let me tell you why they were weak. Oh, look, I've got a little picture of um, the weak, right? Uh, they were weak because... Oh, look, and you've got the strong. There we are. Because they didn't understand God's grace and forgiveness. They believed that what you eat matters. Right? Amen. I was in McDonald's yesterday and a Chinese. Praise the Lord. Right? It doesn't matter what I eat because what I eat doesn't add any value to what God thinks about me. Amen? It doesn't seem like a big issue for us, but for them it was huge, right? If you've been told your entire life you can't eat pork because it's bad, because you're Jewish, and now we're saying it doesn't matter, that's an issue, right? That's a big, big hurdle to overcome. But they didn't yet, the weak didn't yet understand God's grace and God's forgiveness. They thought that certain behaviours and actions give you favour with God. Now we all know that's not true, don't we? Yeah? Well, I hope we do, right? But... I think lots of us don't really understand this, right? And they didn't yet understand fully what God was interested in. All right? They didn't get it. They didn't fully understand it. So who were the strong then? The strong, right, understand that God's grace and his love brings freedom. We are free to live as God has called us to live, right? We don't need to worry about trying to follow certain laws. Amen, there's no law that says you have to pray a certain number of times a day in Christianity. You don't have to pray for a certain number of amount of time to be, to be more holy than other people. You are saved by God's amazing grace, right, which brings freedom. And we realise that we're forgiven and we, we don't have to uh, please God. We, we don't sin, right, just to not... I'm going to say... 
I've confused myself. <clears throat> we follow God and we choose to do what's right in God's eyes, not because we have to to earn his favour, but because we want to because he loves us. So I choose, right, not to go out getting drunk on a Saturday night, right, or doing other things because, not because, you know, but because I don't want to. Why would I want to? If Jesus loves me, right, why would I want to do that? It just doesn't make sense to me, yeah? Okay, and so you've got the weak and the strong in these situations. So let me ask you a question. Who do you think that Paul told off in this situation? Who do you think got the telling off in both these situations? The weak or the strong? The strong. The strong got the telling off. Why on earth do you think the strong got the telling off? Why was it that, that Paul's rebuke was directed not on the weak ones, but the strong ones? Why was that? I'll tell you why it was. Because the strong ones have a responsibility to bear with the weak. That's what the Bible says, what Paul says. You have to bear with it. What they would do is that the, the strong were basically saying, right, I'm free to eat whatever I want. Right, it's church lunch. What I'm going to do, I'm going to bring my big slab of pork, right? And I'm going to bring all of my stuff that's been offered to idols and I'm going to do it and I can do it because I can do it. And their attitude, rather than being loving and kind and accepting and supportive, was essentially taking that freedom and not really caring about the weak. Do you understand? And so when you've got these different cultures that are mixing up, the responsibility doesn't lie with the people that don't get it. The responsibility lies with those that really understand God's grace. Because the more we understand God's grace, the more that we are required to help those that don't yet fully understand how great God is and how much his grace frees us to come into the fullness of his freedom. Are you following that? Pat looked confused. Did that make sense, Pat? Yeah? Just keeping awake. Good, amen. <clears throat> but this still applies, I believe, in the church today. Because there are, there are those in the church who are strong and understand fully the gospel of grace and the gospel of kindness, and there are those that yet still don't fully understand it. And our responsibility, my responsibility, is to care for them. And I, I suppose I want to speak this morning um, as, your, as your church pastor who is caring as a as a sort of shepherd for the church and speaks specifically to our our church this morning and I, I want to ask you this question what happens when you're in home group and someone says something that you just think what a load of rubbish yeah right what a load of rubbish they've just said something that doesn't that isn't in the bible at all right it doesn't make sense they've completely got the wrong end of the stick right as a strong christian Right? I can look at it and think, well, I know the gospel of grace. I know that that doesn't make sense. How do I respond to that? Do I respond to that as someone that says, oh, I wish they wouldn't speak so much in house group. They really don't know what they're talking about. They should leave it to those of us that really understand. Or do we criticise them? And, we often, and let's be honest, guys, right? we do it in our hearts. We might not use it with our voices, but we do it in our hearts. We think, oh, they're so, I wish they you know, wouldn't talk. You know, they don't know what they're talking about. How should we respond in that situation? As a strong who understand God's grace and loves God's forgiveness, how should we respond? We should gently come alongside them and say, let me explain to you how much God loves you and how much your grace is good. Let me teach you what that scripture actually means. What about this? Right, and I've had this, and I know I've had this. There are people that you're in a great meeting, and the Lord's moving, the Holy Spirit's moving, and people are just speaking out and praying, and then there's a new believer, and they pray something really random. 
really random and you just think to yourself what are you what, what was that like that you know where's that come from and there's part of me that thinks oh dear I wish they wouldn't pray out in meetings or I wish they wouldn't do this I'm wrong I'm wrong because my responsibility is to love and to care and to welcome and to, to build up the weak. We have a, uh, speaking really specifically now, we have a church WhatsApp group. You all know where I'm going with this, right? <clears throat> it needs to be said and so I'm going to say it, right? We have a church WhatsApp group and, and the problem with WhatsApp, right, is that anyone can post anything they like, right? Now it's meant to be a WhatsApp group that's for prayer. That's primarily what we set it up for, for prayer. Now, We've got all kinds of people and people just want to post what they want to post. And, and it's great that people want to post what they want to post. But there have been some that have got a little bit upset from time to time about one or two of the things that have been posted because they haven't been as prayer orientated as maybe they ought to. And I've had conversations with a few of us, haven't we? And the challenge is, is will we bear with those that we... Are we excited and encouraged that everybody wants to contribute even if what they contribute isn't the most helpful thing in the world? It's difficult, isn't it? When you get people from different cultures, different backgrounds, and they come into the church, they don't do the things that we think they ought to do. They don't understand our rules. Maybe our rules need to change. It's challenging, isn't it? Our responsibility is to bear with the weak. Now, how do we do that? How, do we, how are we able to bear with the weak? Well, a lot of it comes from understanding where our identity is. You, we all have an identity, and I don't know if you know this, but... We, our identity is made up a lot of which groups we are part of. So our identity comes from the groups that we belong to. So I thought I'd show you, um, is this working? Um, all right, yeah, look, I, I forgot this point. We can be 100% theologically right and completely wrong. Amen? Let me say that again. We can be 100% theologically right and completely wrong. Amen? Because we can know the right answers, we can know what someone ought to do, but our attitude is so unloving that we're the self-righteous ones and we're the wrong ones. Are we bearing with the weak? Because it says here, doesn't it, right, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not please ourselves. It's challenging. I, I, I have to say, I've been so challenged by preparing this message. Why is this not working there? If the strong and mature in Christ cannot bear with the weak, then they haven't yet fully grasped the love and grace of Christ. So we need to bear with the weak. So let's, th- let's talk a little bit about identity, right? Because cultural identity is very important. Who's that guy? What a guy, right? <laughs> He's amazing, right? Just such a good-looking chap, um, yeah? Now, I am, a, I am a cultural mishmash, right? I am made up of all of the different parts and places I've been in the groups that I'm part of, right? I am, above everything else, British, right? Right? Absolutely, I'm British, amen. But when you're British, there are certain things that British people do and certain things that British people don't do. Um, and I am often defined by my culture, right? In England, you know, it's impolite to turn up late for a meeting. As I understand it, in India and Africa, time doesn't matter, right? Um, because it's a cultural thing, because it's defined by your identity. But, you know, when someone's late for my meeting, I get very upset because I'm British, right? How much of my culture is defined by who I am? So what about this? Right? I'm middle class, right? I am. I could try and pretend I'm not middle class, right? And as we know, anyone that's middle class, their main shop is next, right? You have to shop, and you, and you can meet people, and I meet people, and they've got the, uh, the little, uh, the little what's it, horns, the stag horns. You're like, oh, yes, you're part of my tribe. Yeah, we both shop in the same shops, yeah? 
All right, and you know, being middle class, right, means that I have a certain set of values and a certain set of ideas and a certain way of doing things, and I meet other people that are not the same as me, and sometimes I find what they're doing strange, and they can be English, and they can be uh, brought up in the same school as me, but they're not like me in terms of the way that I've kind of grown up with my class system. It just is who I am. Not better, not worse, just who I am, right? All right? Uh, I went to university. I don't wear glasses, but it looks, it looks clever if you wear glasses. I'm, I, I can't help myself, right? I love to read books. Patrick hates books, right? Okay? I can, I've been trying to get Pat to read for ages, right? Okay? We've started on Thomas the Tank Engine. Uh, <coughs> and he's, he's, progressed, he's progressed up to Biff and Chip. He's on to Biff and Chip now. I love reading books. You give me a book, I'd love to read it. I keep buying books. I've got more books than I've read, right? I've actually got books in my house I haven't read, right? I love to read. It's part of who I am. I'm a university person, right? I'm also a teacher, right? I started out life as a teacher. Anyone else a teacher in this room? It, it is like being part of a club, isn't it, right? If you meet any other teacher anywhere in England, right, you say to them, what do you do? Oh, I'm a teacher. Oh, immediately we're together. And you can, you can almost play bingo, right? How are the management in your school? Oh, terrible. Terrible. Uh, what do you think about the exam system? Oh, terrible. Terrible. Right? What do you think about your workload? Oh, terrible, terrible. Right? What do you think about the kids? Oh, kids, hard work. They're getting, getting worse. Yeah? Right? You're part of a club. It's who I am. Right? I'm made up by that. Okay? What about this? I'm a great lover of cricket and sport. Right? It's who I am. I'm part of a cricket club. If you say to me, right, what's the best sport in the world? It's not rugby. Sorry. We just <clears throat> it might be three months since South Africa won the World Cup, but we just won the cricket. All right? Okay? Just saying that. Just pointing that out. It's part of who I am. It's my identity, right? I am into cycling, right? And I will, right, criticise other people that aren't into cycling. Why do you not love bikes? Bikes are amazing, right? Okay? My identity is also found in that I'm a leader. I like to lead things and lead people. This is part of who I am. Now, the problem is when, when you take your identity from the groups that you are a part of like this, what happens is, first of all, we, we find belonging, don't we? We find belonging. If you go around the world and you meet with other people that are British in the middle of a, a kind of a completely other place, I will feel like I belong. And you know, when you, we value really highly these groups, we get protective of them. I get protective. Don't you have a go at my nation? Or don't you have a go at my group? Yeah? Don't you criticise me? We get protective. And we have to defend the groups that we're part of. Well, indeed, yeah. Right, it is, right? But we find our identity so often in other things and other groups. We find our acceptance. And so we have to, I have to go to next and dress in middle class clothes in order to fit in with my middle class friends. Right? It's kind of just a reality of how it is. Now, the problem is, is that that isn't the way that God has intended us to live. That isn't right. Now, let me explain to you what I mean, right? So, my old identity was that I was a Christian, teacher, father, middle-class person, but firstly British. But God wants to turn that around completely, right? Because when you realise that Jesus is the centre of your identity, I am in Christ. Everything else comes second to that, 
right? Everything else comes second to my identity in Christ. You see, when I realise that I am loved by Christ, not because of what clothes I wear, not because of what school I went to, not because of which nationality I'm a part of, not because whether I play cricket or whether I play football, right? Not because of whether I'm a leader or I'm not a leader. All of those things come second. And once I realise that Christ is my identity, then I can choose... Yeah, so what? Yeah, there's good things about Britain. There's bad things about Britain. There's good things about cricket. There's no bad things about cricket. Um, <clears throat> you know, there's, there's, you know, there's good things about being middle class. There's bad things about middle class. I can, I can be friends with people that are from a different class. I can be friends with different people from a different nation. Because my identity is not in my other groups, it's in Jesus. Do you understand? And I think so often we get so wound up with kind of where we've come from and which group we're part of and how we're trying to be part of that group. The only way the church can be all that God has made it is when every single one of us in the room and says, above everything else, I'm in Christ. Everything else comes second to that. Everything else comes second to that. And, and this is how it starts to work itself out, right? Because Jesus, when he, he poured out his spirit at Pentecost, did something amazing. Do you know what he did? He reversed the curse of the Tower of Babel. Does anyone know the story of the Tower of Babel? Right? Let me explain it to you. Right back in the beginning, right in the beginning of Genesis, right, people got, thought they were very clever. And so they, they all spoke the same language. And so they built this tower. And they built it higher and higher and higher because their plan was that they could reach God and they could be like God. And so God cursed them. And you know what he cursed them with? He cursed them by giving them lots of different languages and he split them up. And basically said, in order to stop the human race thinking that they can be like me in that way, I'm going to split them up and separate them. What happened at Pentecost? The tongues. And what happened? They all began to speak in different languages. They were one heart, but speaking in different languages. It was this amazing moment where God says, no longer are, are my people to be separated. They are to be unified, even though they are completely different. And that is what the church is meant to be like. It's meant to be a place where everybody from different class, from different culture, from different race, from different background can come and be as one. Amen. Because our identity is not in Christ Jesus. You know, and one day we are going to stand and I look forward to this day, don't you? I can't wait for it. I can't wait for this day. It says in Revelation, right, chapter 5, it's talking about when the, the end of all things. And it says, after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number. From where? Every nation. From where? All tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hand and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. You know, when we were listening to different people pray this morning, you might not have felt it, but it was a touch of heaven. It was a touch of heaven. It was a touch of one day what will be when we will all gather as one. You see, the church is meant to be this mixture. If the church doesn't represent the community that it's part of, then it's not being like Jesus. It's not being the diversity that Jesus has intended that one day we will all see. So let me ask you this question then. If, if we're all meant to be in Christ, does that mean that therefore we all need to sort of stop being kind of British or South African or Indian, or whatever? Do we have to just all be just generic? No. No, it doesn't. 
Absolutely. Because you know what's amazing about Christianity? Do you know why Christianity has spread around the world so, so powerfully? Right? Do you know, the centre of Christianity used to be, uh, used to be kind of, um, where was it? Israel. And then it moved to Rome. And then it moved to Greece. And then it moved to Europe, up to, well, up to, you know, other places. Then it moved to America. Then it moved to China, right? Then it moved to South America. Now I think it's probably, the sense of Christianity is probably like Asia, where God is really moving powerfully. It just keeps moving. Why does it keep moving like that? The answer is, is that when you become a Christian, you don't have to stop being middle class. You don't have to stop being working class. You don't have to stop being South African. In fact, what Christ does when he comes to us is he redeems and brings the best out of who we are. Amen? So I can be, and I can see the weaknesses in my own culture, but it makes, that's why Africans loved the fact that they could be Christian because they didn't have to be Europeans. They could be Christian Africans. Amen? And they realised they didn't have to be different in the sense they didn't have to start being someone completely different. They could just be who God had made them to be. You know, how many of you have ever seen the film Cool Runnings? In the film Yaman, right? <laughs> the, the story of Cool Runnings is about a Jamaican bobsleigh team, right? And they're trying to get success. And they've done a couple of runs and they've done terribly. And, um, and the, the lead driver says, if only we were more like the Swiss. And his friend, who's a Rastafarian, says to him, it's a powerful moment. He says, uh, he says basically, you're never going to be any good being the Swiss. The best that you can be is Jamaican. And so we better off bobsleigh Jamaican. And they realised that the best bobslayers they could be was Jamaican bobslayers. They couldn't be something else. And you know, when the church is being all that God is, it's a celebration of all the differences. Not trying to make everybody the same. Amen? Amen. And so you see, this is where it matters. Because I realise that that when we have a church where we celebrate differences, we begin to see all the more beauty of Jesus. We begin to see his beauty come out, right? I, I as I've said to you, I'm, I'm, a, I'm middle class. It's kind of who I am, right? I could, I could try and pretend I'm not, but I am, right? Okay. Uh, my grandparents, if you met my, my, my dad's grandparents, were, their, their mantra in life was work hard, don't get noticed, right? Work hard, be anonymous, right? They just wanted to work hard, earn money, be quiet, don't make a fuss, don't be out there, just be very middle of the road. I had, how many of us went to the Global Leadership Summit a few months ago in October? It was at King's Church and um, there were a significant number, weren't there, of Africans, right? And if ever you worship with Africans, you realise how different they do it to the British people, because I'm British. So in, 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 in my world, you know, like when you worship, your feet stay stuck right? They have to stay in the same place. Maybe you'll go kind of, you know, sort of maybe kind of, you know, touchdown, you know, and maybe if you're really feeling it widescreen, yeah, like, okay, right, and maybe if you're feeling it, but you watch the Africans, they just can't help themselves. The moment the music starts, they're like, <laughs> right? And, and, and I'm thinking to myself, right, I'm British. We don't do that, right? Okay, we're just like, mm, amen. Oh man, let's just get smaller and just let's be noticed. And then the moment the music comes, they're like... Yeah, and I, I could try, right? But, but there's something of freedom in the way that they do worship. And I, do you know what? I, I think that's brilliant. Because as a British person, I realise that because my identity is not in Christ, it doesn't matter, I can be more like them. It doesn't matter if my grandparents would look at me and think, what are you doing? Just keep your feet on the floor, boy. <laughs> 
It wouldn't matter to them. It wouldn't, so it would matter to them, but it doesn't matter to Jesus because as they come, they bring joy and energy that we don't have. Amen? They enrich us. They don't make us weaker. They enrich us. They do. Amen. Um, uh, just, just another example. Just those, Dion and Marlene joined the church um, quite a while back now. right? And when I first, they first came, they asked me this question. Marlene asked me, what, what can we call you? Right? What can we call you? And I just thought that was a strange question. I didn't know what they meant. I was like, Tim. But they're like, no, no, can we call you, you know, should we call you pastor? Or should we call you leader? Or should we call you Tim? And, and, and so where I come from in my culture, right, okay, if you get a title, that means you think something, of, you think too much of yourself, right? Okay, like in my culture, my Christian culture particularly, we shy away from titles because, you know, you, you start to think yourself more than you are, young man, yeah? Um, but obviously in South Africa, right, uh, a title like pastor is a symbol of respect and a symbol of honour and it's a sense of wanting to honour those that God has called to serve in that way. And so I said to her, I said, well, try and call me Tim. And, and I saw her a week or two later and she's like, I can't, I can't do it. I can't call you, I'm going to have to call you pastor. I just can't do it. I'll try to call you Tim, but I'm just not going to be able to do it. And you know what? It's brilliant because it released me from realising, do you know what? You can call me Bob for all I care. Right? It doesn't matter what you call me, right? Okay, you can call me pastor, you can call me Tim, you can call me leader, you can call me Lord. <laughs> You're not allowed to call me Lord, all right? Um, yeah, but you can call me, but it doesn't matter. But if I ask Marlene, right, to not call me that, what I'm actually doing is being, I'm just def- like not allowing her to be her. I'm not allowing her to be who God has made her to be and where she's come from culturally. Right in the end, I'm going to do what God has called me to do. And it's been freeing and liberating for me. And, and just one more example recently that I, I had was my friend Alan at the back, right? Okay, there's Alan at the back, right? Now, Alan and I both grew up in South East London, didn't we, Alan? Yeah? Hey, South East London, mate. Yeah, check it. Uh, <clears throat> that's about as gangster as I get, all right? Um, now, we may have grown up in the same area, but we grew up in very different worlds, didn't we? Yeah, we did. We grew up in very, very different worlds, very different experiences, right? And one of the things I love about Alan is his honesty, right, and his heart for God. And, and Alan and I were chatting recently, and he said to me, do you know what, Tim? Sometimes when you lot talk, I haven't got a clue what you're talking about. You use words I don't understand. I, to be honest, I'm lost, right? And, and his point was, which was totally 100% valid, was that from where he'd come from, his world, from the things he understood, I was operating from my culture and I wasn't making allowances and recognising that he was different to me. And I, do you know, I've been challenged ever since that day that when I preach, that when I talk, that when we do house group, am I talking in a way that everybody can understand? Or am I using words that come from my university background that I like, that make me sound clever? Hey. <laughs> eh? That's all right, Sonny. Thanks, mate. But you see, I don't know about you, but I'd love to sit in a group of people that talk like me. Wouldn't you? I'd love to have a church with just people like me. It'd be brilliant. But it wouldn't reflect the glory of Jesus. Because Jesus is reflected when we are who we are, but we're fundamentally in Christ. You know, I can give up my middle class kind of sensibleness. And you know, as we grow, there's going to be people that are going to do things in the church and you're going to think, oh, goodness me, that's uncomfortable. I'm not comfortable with that at all. But, you know, as we open our hearts to it, God will open us to something new. Do you believe that? 
right? That as we allow others to change the way that we are, we become more like Jesus. Jesus would have danced. I'm convinced of it. Jesus, I always, when I grew up thinking that Jesus was white, middle-class British, to be honest, right? Right? I did, right? Jesus wasn't. Jesus was a working-class Jew, right, who was grew, grew up as a man. That's who he was. He, he came in that way. And I think just... I think it's amazing that he came like that. But he was able to reach out to the intellectuals. He was able to reach out to the poorest. He was able to reach out to lots of different nationalities. And that, my friends, is the kind of church that I believe God wants to build. Amen? And so we're going to respond now. And we're going to respond all right, by simply answering this question. Am I willing to be uncomfortable? Am I willing to be uncomfortable? Because when more people join the church and they're not like us, it makes us uncomfortable. When other people do things that you think, oh, that doesn't seem, that's not what I would, I would do, that seems a bit odd, we feel uncomfortable. But I believe that in that beautiful diversity, we will find a wonderful expression of Jesus that reflects this verse. And I want to ask you that question, will you be like that? Because it takes work. It really does. It really, really takes work. You know, like last week, um, I've got a friend of mine called Jana. You know, know Jana, right? Jana's uh, the, um, John Watson's wife, Elton. She leads the worship there. And Jana, years ago, started this thing called prophetic singing, right? Prophetic singing is where you don't have a, a, like lyrics. You just make it up as you go along, like freestyling, right? A Christian style. Yeah, right? And, uh, and I remember the first time she did it, I was so uncomfortable. I was like, this is really uncomfortable for me, right? Really, really uncomfortable. And she's singing and it's weird and I don't know what to do with it. And do you know what, right? The Lord has challenged me on that again and again. And last week, I, I don't know, you might have noticed, right? I didn't do it well. I didn't do it good, right? But for me, it was responding. I realised that she's added something to me. And I found an expression that comes out because I've learned from her. She's different to me, and I've learned from that. But it's made me really, really uncomfortable.